This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, not bad, mate. Not bad at all. How about yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Busy day on Saturday, out uh, for, for the entirety of the day in West London with Blackburn Rovers, of course, beating QPR 3-1, as we'll come on to. But yeah, those uh, trips down to London are always very long days, so I was out the house for about 13 hours, so I'm just about catching catching my breath, caught up with all the uh, the action this morning, as well as uh, feeding duties in parenthood. So it's it's been a very busy weekend, but yes, I'm all good, thank you. Um, what were you up to yesterday? Not a lot, really. To be honest with you, I went shopping in the morning, came back, caught a little bit of Coventry versus Sunderland, um, and that was it really. So pretty relaxed Saturday for a change, but as we record on Sunday morning, a big uh, afternoon evening ahead, obviously covering Man United in the uh, League Cup final. Absolutely, I'm hoping to, to sit down and watch that one as well. But attention's back to all things Championship and a busy show to get through today with 11 matches we're going to bring you today. There was no draws in the Championship this weekend, so we're going to try and get through 11 games in as much detail as possible. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. A massive thank you as well to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. Big thank you to them for their support this season. And again, on today's podcast, it's going to be a busy show as we go through another intriguing weekend of Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we're going to start, George, at Loftus Road, where Queen's Park Rangers began the Gareth Ainsworth era against his boyhood club, Blackburn Rovers, just to add an extra spice of narrative into this one. But it was Rovers that came away with a 3-1 victory at Loftus Road, a game, of course, I was in attendance at. We'll start with QPR, because they've obviously appointed Gareth Ainsworth since we last spoke when we recorded the podcast seven days ago. Neil Critchley had just been sacked, but Ainsworth came in. Um, on the following Tuesday, so we've not had time to give our thoughts on that. So we'll start with QPR. I'm a little bit mixed on it because I think Gareth Ainsworth's a really good manager. I think he deserves another chance in the Championship. But again, I have to come back to style of play, which was a problem under Neil Critchley. And I don't really see, between now and the end of the season, how it's going to not be an issue for Gareth Ainsworth. Because if you look at QPR's season, in the summer... They did quite a big recruitment drive, quite a lot of experienced players left. But they signed players for a Mick Beale style of football, which is very possession heavy, which is about technical players, quite narrow, um, similar to how Villa tried to play under Steven Gerrard, that sort of 4-3-3 with almost number 10s as the wingers. You then tr- sat, you then leave for Rangers through no fault of your own. You then transition to Ian Cr- uh, to Neil Critchley, who is a much more pragmatic pragmatic manager. He likes to have probably nine workhorses and two stars. You need to be disciplined off the ball because you're going to not have possession for large periods. You're going to be soaking up pressure, which he did so well at Blackpool. QPR don't have the players to do that. You sack him after a poor run of 12 games. You then go to Gareth Ainsworth, who is an even more extreme version of that. Wickham were the most direct team in the EFL over the last couple of years. Now, I do think it's worth noting that their style of play has improved or improved is probably the wrong word because there's no right or wrong way to play football, but it's evolved. That's probably the right way of saying it. 
But there's still, I think there's some numbers where they've had the least sequences of 10 passes or more in the Championship and League One. And only one team had, had more in League Two, which I think probably was Steve Evans's Stevenage, who we know as, again, another manager who likes to play direct. So again, you, you've got a group of players recruited for one step philosophy, and you've got a manager that's the complete opposite. Now, I have no doubt that I think Gareth Ainsworth can get a tune out of QPR, and it's a decent fit club-wise. Is it a fit for this current crop of players? No. Now, the counter-argument, I would say, is he did get the best out of someone like Mehmeti, who've obviously now graduated and gone to Bristol City. So there is some hope for a chair or a Chris Willock um, that they can still thrive in this team. Played a 4-2-3-1 at the weekend with Martin up front, Tim Robinham as a number 10, Johansson and Field screening. It was chair on the left um, and I've completely forgot who was on the right. Uh, Jamal Lowe on the right. Uh, chair went off after 20 minutes, which is obviously a big blow as well. Probably 15 minutes, actually. And they did start brightly in this one and probably shaded the 20 minutes after they got themselves level. Blackburn got in front through um, what was a really nice move, but then a little bit of fortune with Dolan's shot deflecting up in the air for Gallagher to head home. That's his first goal since October. And then the equaliser from Robinham, after that 20-minute period, they probably shaded it. But again, it was quite scrappy. Neither team really got the foot on the ball. But as soon as Blackburn went 3-1 up, QPR's belief, their hope, their threat completely disapparated and names were said as much in his post-match press conference so for me the big problem or the big challenge for Ainsworth is can he make this team better off the ball out of possession because I think we know they've got good technical players and when they've got the ball and they're going to dominate a game they're pretty good it's when they're going to have spells off the ball which if you play a more direct style of football there is going to be more turnovers in possession you can have less control and you're going to get the ball quicker to your forward players, but equally it's going to come back quicker. That is just a, a fact of playing that style of football. I'm not sure QPR are good enough out of possession to make that work right now. Now, I think if they can get through to the summer and avoid relegation, which I, I do expect them to do, they've got a good run of fixtures coming up to pick up some points and they've got a talented squad. I think he can then adapt that squad and I think I could see again a similar thing where he's got nine workhorses and then Charol Willock or Lowe, whoever, a couple of stars to win them games like he had Mehmeti at um, Wickham my my big thing is the teething issue between now and the end of the season because as I say the squad was recruited for one style of play and now you've got a completely different one in Ainsworth but I like Ainsworth as a manager I think it's a good appointment but that transition is not going to be straightforward in my opinion Yeah and I think I'd have to echo all of that first of all I thought it was a good appointment when it you know it became clear that he was going to get the job earlier in earlier in the week. I thought it was smart, it was sensible. You know, he's done a, a brilliant job at Wickham over the past decade or so, you know. Got them into the championship, which was unthinkable, wasn't it, at the time. A club of Wickham Wanderers stature to get into the second tier. Obviously went straight back down again, but certainly uh, gave it the best of their ability and in League One last season they missed out in the playoff final. The right riding high towards the playoffs this time around. So he certainly earned the chance to come back into the championship. And obviously a club that he holds very close to his heart. But like you said, for some of the reasons, it is a little bit difficult to understand in the way the squad is at the moment. But there's only three, three and a bit months left until the end of the season, give or take. So this squad isn't going to be together for much longer. So long term, it's probably a better appointment than it is in the short term, you would argue, for what they've got at the minute and where they are as a club at the moment. So... I think it has got the ability to be a really good appointment. Gareth Ainsworth, I think he's a really, you know, he's a really likeable figure. I like him as a person. I think he's done tremendous work at Wickham, as I said, over the past 10, 12 years, whatever it was, he was there. 
You would probably say to... outside of Nathan Jones at Luton, it's probably the best job that anyone's done in the AFL. Yeah, Ainsworth probably, and Wickham. probably so. The last decade, certainly, he's done. He did terrific work. He really did. But at the moment, he obviously he's come into a, a sinking ship, hasn't he? At the minute, it is it is a sinking ship. QPR are in a, an absolute mess. You know, we're we're recording this on the twenty sixth of February. They've won one game in all competitions since the twenty second of October. And that was a way, no disrespect at Preston, who have been largely very, very poor at home this season. So it's been an absolutely turgid run that set in as soon as the McBeal situation developed to Wolves back in October. And see, Neil Critchley couldn't solve it. Um, Gareth Ainsworth can't say he's not solved it because he's only had one game. But you know what I mean? It's 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 an issue that remains unresolved. But they, the worry for me is out of possession QPR. They just they look vulnerable. They they look really difficult. You know to to kind of come together as a plan and, and stop the opposition. I think that's being shown now and the amount of goals that they're conceding. I mean, you have to go back to to Boxing Day for the last time that they actually kept a clean sheet and we're now, you know, exactly two months past Boxing Day as we, as we record this. So they are leaking goals left, right and centre. They've, you know, they've conceded nine goals in the last three games, three in each of the last three. That they, they are really vulnerable. The home form has fallen off the edge of a cliff. They've not won at home since the 22nd of October. And at that point, you know, they were absolutely flying at home. They were, they'd only lost one game at home up until that point in the season. So there's a lot of work for Gareth Ainsworth to do. Um, but I don't think you can be, you know, you can't be overly critical of him. QPR collectively, yes, because they are in a real rut. They are in an absolute mess. And at the moment, it is hard to see where, where the next win comes from. But as you've said, the, the upcoming run of fixtures that they have does potentially create an opportunity to get some points on the board. I mean, in, in two of the next three, they've got Rotherham and Blackpool, two teams beneath them in the table. They, they've got to win at least one of those two games. They have to. They've got Watford at home sandwiched in the middle of that, which is obviously uh, going to be a really difficult challenge where Watford are on the table. But beyond that, they've got Blackpool, they've got Birmingham, uh, they've got Wigan and they've got Preston. So in the next six games, you know, either side of the international break coming up at the end of March, they have got a crop of games where they've got to get something on the board. So hopefully with Gareth Ainsworth, like he said, he, he's this week he's going to have a full week on the training ground with his players. He's going to get to know them that little bit better ahead of that trip to Rotherham next Saturday, which is going to be a really important game, particularly if Rotherham win their game on, on Monday evening on uh, at Swansea. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a real mess for QPR at the minute. They're in a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare scenario, but I think long term, I think Gareth Ainsworth is the right man to, to take them forward, but it's certainly not going to be a job which you, which you can fix quickly. From a Blackburn point of view, that's three in a row for them. They're now up to fourth. Really, really good performance, particularly in the second half. New levels of maturity in that performance. They nullified QPR, and once they got the third goal on the hour mark, they were absolutely in complete control. You didn't for a second think that QPR were going to come back into the game. Now that's a mixture of obviously QPR being in poor form and low spirits, but... Blackburn were really, really impressive. And for such a young side as it is at the minute, um, particularly with all the injuries, I mean, I think a lot of people probably don't realise they're also missing Thomas Kaminsky, Daniel Ayala, Scott Wharton, Harry Pickering, Bradley Dack, Ben Broughton-Diaz. None of those were involved um, at all. None of them got on the pitch on Saturday. So to do it with that many key players, the spine of their team in a lot of ways, out of the, out of the picture... To do that was was really impressive. It was it was probably one of the best forty five minutes of football they played for a while in that second half. Joe Ragnick Costello is playing absolutely out of his skin at the minute. He is the championship cafe at the moment. He's playing this interesting hybrid role, very much like how Manchester City used their fullbacks, where 
He's starting as a, a right-back, of course, in a back four. But he spends most of his time playing centre midfield, coming into the pitch as a, an extra player, which gives them extra control. It also suits with Hayden Carter because he's quite good playing that right channel in as a sort of right-back slash right-centre-back. And ranking Costello, he set up the... played a, a crucial role in the win over Blackpool with the crossfield switch for Thomas, which set up Dolan. And again, for the first goal, it's him that's drifting in field, switching the play to Dolan, which created the opener. And then the, the audacity to pull off that sort of skill in the corner um, is absolutely sensational. Cross for Gallagher to tap in for 3-1. I think I don't know if people will know this, but Rankin Costello was completely frozen out in the first half of the season. He was hooked at half-time against Stoke City on, at the end of August and didn't play another championship minute until 17th of December away at Norwich City, which was only forced by injury to Callum Britton. Since then, he's started every game apart from one, which he was injured for. And he has been absolutely undroppable. It's it's a story and a comeback like no other in terms of to be that far out of the picture and then become. I think if you asked any Blackburn Rovers player uh, fan right now, he is their most important player. So that sort of turnaround is unheard of. A note for Lewis Travis as well, who's been back in business after a spell out of the team in in December and January. He's been fantastic in recent weeks, back to his best. And you have to credit Thomason for that because he took him out of the team. He wasn't playing very well. And since he's come back in, he's been absolutely excellent. West Brom 2, Middlesbrough nil. A massive win for Carlos Corbrand's side, who had lost a little bit of ground on the top six after a disappointing run of form. Daryl DK's first start in six, and he was justified that with two goals very early on. Two strikers' goals, poor defending from Bury, you have to say, but he took them both pretty well. Um, and defensively, again, West Brom were rock solid and deserving of the win, I thought. Their good form under Corbyn has generally been built on their defensive record. So if they can just start scoring a little bit more freely, if they get DK back in the goals, if they can get Wallace and Swift finding the net, um, then they'll have it right at both ends. Because I think particularly at the Hawthorns, they're very good at shutting out the opposition, which is going to be massive if they're going to creep back up into the top six. It, it actually had gone under the radar in my mind a little bit where I was looking at the table before kickoff on Saturday at 3pm how far away West Brom actually were from the top six. They'd really lost a lot of ground in recent weeks, which had, and I knew the results, obviously, but but how far they dropped off in the table had actually gone under the radar a little bit with me. So this was actually a really, really important victory because it's not as much of a shoo-in as I probably thought that West Brom were going to finish in the top six. I still think they will, but they need more performances like this where they're not just relying on keeping the opposition out and nicking a goal, and they need a little bit more from those forwards, which they got at the weekend. Yeah, definitely. It was a big, big win for them and one that they desperately needed. I mean, they'd lost, they'd lost, they'd won one in five prior to that win over Borough. So they really had tailed off quite, not dramatically, but it was a significant downgrade from where they had been prior to this run that they'd encountered. And obviously it started with that defeat at Burnley and in, in January. But no, a really big win for Carlos Corbran and few probably would have given West Brom hope of getting that with the way Middlesbrough have been flying in recent weeks, scoring goals for fun. But it it goes back to the point, doesn't it, with under Carlos Corbran, West Brom, have, they've turned the Hawthorns into a fortress. That's been the bedrock of this run that they've put together. They've been absolutely terrific. I mean, Bember and Diaz is the only man to have scored there in terms of an opposition player in a long, long time. And that was obviously a free kick. So you have to go all the way back to the 29th of October, the last time West Brom could see a goal at home from open play. They've been absolutely relentless at the Hawthorns. So in some ways, you can maybe understand the win over Middlesbrough a little bit better, even though Borough have been flying. So it's a step in the right direction for Carlos Corbrandt. It gets them back in the playoff hunt a little bit closer to it. 
I think the biggest question for them now is resurrecting their away form because they, they have been poor on the road recently. They've lost their last three away from home. They've lost four of the last six away from home. So it's certainly, you know, it's a situation where they've got to look at and try and find a way to get that away form resurrected a little bit because at home, nine times out of 10, you do expect them to win. And for Daryl DK at the weekend, for him, He's repaid Carlos Corbran. He's put the faith in him. Obviously, missed most of the first half of the season through injury. Had a really difficult time with that. And he's been virtually like a new signing since he's come back in from that injury. And I think he'll be really important between now and the end of the season because we saw at Barnsley, didn't we, a couple of seasons ago, what he's all about. The pace, the power, the movement, the goal threat. Really, really good player. So he'll be key for West Brom as we, we do approach the business end of the season. Now, I think when you get towards this stage, we can start to call it that. And for West Brom now, the challenge is, can they uh, can they sustain that victory over Borough and Bill and put a bit of a run together? I mean, their next four games on paper represent a really good chance, but three of them, uh, no, sorry, two of them are away from home. They've got Hull away, then they've got Wigan at home, then they've got Huddersfield at home, and then Cardiff away in the next four. That's a really favourable run. You know, that is an opportunity to get a good haul of points on the board ahead of travelling to Sheffield United in their final game prior to the international break on the 18th of March. So I look at them next four games to West Brom, of course, not going to be easy. Nothing in the Championship easy. All, you know, three of the four aforementioned teams are going to be fighting for the lives. Wigan, Huddersfield and Cardiff. Hull away Friday night won't be easy. Hull have been, you know, steadily improving in recent weeks under Liam Rossini. So it's a big challenge for Carlos Corbran, but they're going to take confidence from that win over Borough. It's a, you know, it's a, a little bit of a scout with the the form Borough being. It's a good way to get back to winning ways. They'll take great confidence from it. And they've just got to now look at the upcoming crop of games and think, right, we've got to get a good haul of points to this. And I think realistically, West Brom from the next four games, they should be targeting a very minimum of 10 points with what they've got to come. So a good win at the weekend. They've got to build on it. That's got to be the challenge now to get them back closer to the top six. Yeah, it was an off day for Middlesbrough, wasn't it? Poor defending, it particularly for the second goal, I thought. Yeah. Obviously lost Paddy McNair on a stretcher as well, which is not ideal. It's, it's one of those days, isn't it, that happens. You know, you've been on such a good run. It's got to end at some point. I wouldn't get too down high by it at all, if I were a Borough fan. No, but Sheffield United would be very pleased, George. They took full advantage, winning 1-0 at Bramall Lane against Watford. Pretty scrappy game in truth and a, a comical own goal from Ryan Porteous was the decider. Somehow nutmegging his own goalkeeper and Hamza Chowdhury being unable to clear it off the line. But I think Sheffield United were good value for the win, although it was a game of probably two evenly matched teams with not a lot of quality uh, showing out. Heckingbottom admitted that they changed their sort of pressing style to try and combat Watford and nullify their danger men. We, we know that Watford... I don't think Watford are a particularly brilliant brilliant team, but they have got players like Joao Pedro, Ismail Assar, the usual suspects that can win games without them playing particularly well. I think there's a lot of teams that are better teams and cohesive units than Watford. But when you've got individuals that they have, you can always win games of football. And ultimately for Sheffield United, we're at the stage where results trump uh, performances and they got the win. That's all that matters. And I do think, and I said this on last week's podcast, I do think they're too consistent to blow this second place. They, they've even got, they've obviously extended it by three points. They're back with a seven-point cushion with a game in hand. You know, based on Sheffield United's performances this season, that game in hand's worth at least two points. Um, so are they going to blow a nine-point lead? I don't see it personally. And I think Sheffield United will finish second. I said that last week. And again, this is why I backed them seven days ago because... They're a very consistent team and, and Heckingbottom is very good at not allowing 
you know, three bad results to turn into six or seven. I know there was one spell earlier in the season, but they got that many injuries that you could justify it on that. There's been very few portions of the season where Sheffield United have just gone on a bad run of form. The only really sustained one was a run of six early in the season when they got about 10 injuries, 11 injuries. So generally when they drop points, they've responded. It was a bad week last week, but they've got that three-point swing back in their favour now and I still fancy them to get second place. Yeah, I have to agree with that. You know, they found a way to get the job done. It was a, it was an ugly own goal. No one's going to remember it, but it could be a priceless three points come the end of the season. I think when you're fighting for promotion, certainly, as I say, at this stage of the season, as we do come up, you know, not a million miles away from Easter now, only about a month away, it is just a case of getting the job done, however it comes. You know, whether you win 1-0 off an own goal or win 4 or 5-0 with an outstanding performance, it's just job done. And that's what the Blades did. They had to get it after that defeat at Millwall last week. They needed a response. And I think, as you've said there, they've not really had a bad run at any point in the season, except when they were that period in October when they got that extensive injury list. But I think the stat that sums it up, which I saw on Friday night ahead of the game against Watford on Saturday, that had the Blades have lost that game, it had been the first time they'd lost three championship games in a row since December 2017, which proves just how you know relentless they've been. Obviously, in this division, obviously, had a couple of seasons in the Premier League in between. But, you know, the Blades found a way. They got the job done and they've tightened their grip on second spot. It was the perfect day for them, obviously, with Middlesbrough obviously losing at West Brom. It was it was a weekend that they needed after Borough obviously eating into their lead in recent weeks. So it's just giving them that little bit more breathing space again. And, you know, they've got a big FA Cup tie with Tottenham in the week they can look forward to. But beyond that, they've got... Not the easiest crop of games, I must say. Blackburn away, obviously, that'll be difficult next Saturday lunchtime. Then they go to Reading, who have been pretty good at home this season. Then they've got Luton, then they've got Sunderland, and then they've got West Brom. So they've not got the, you know, they've not got the easiest of runs. They're not playing any of the teams at the bottom of the table in the next few weeks. So they're still, you know, they're playing four four teams that have still got genuine aspirations of a top six finish. So a big period coming up in the Blades this season, but they've got that healthy cushion over Borough again. They've got the game in hand, as you mentioned. So, a good weekend for United. Not outstandingly brilliant, but gritty and determined. And that's what you need to get out of this league. And they got the job done. Absolutely. And Burnley, they keep marching on at the top of the Championship, George. Men against boys, 4-0 win against Huddersfield. And let's be fair, it could have been a cricket score. They were the dominant side. Neil Warnock said that Burnley are the best team he'd seen in 25 years in the Championship. And they're on course to prove that points-wise as well and beat Reading's total despite dropping a few points in the last couple of games. We've got Zaruri, Roberts, Brownhill, Oberfemi, one from each department, which probably sums up Burnley because there probably hasn't been one star player, but everyone's been an 8-9 out of 10 rather than a few individuals. And that proved by uh, a winger, a, mid, uh, a defender, a midfielder and a striker getting on the score sheet. I think the third goal was probably my pick of the bunch. Really nice move, which Josh Brownhill turned in from close range. And it just looked way too easy. It looked like a Premier League team against a League One team in truth. And it could have been a cricket score if Burnley had really, really wanted it to be. I think Neil Warnock's probably right in his post-match assessment. Huddersfield season's not going to be defined at Burnley away. And they need to make sure this one doesn't sap morale and uh, damage the confidence. Got two big home games coming against Coventry and Bristol City, which are the sort of games where you could potentially get three or four points on the board, maybe six, if uh, you're going to stay up. And obviously they're now three points adrift, four points adrift of safety at the bottom of the championship. So... They do need to make sure that that positive start in his opening game um, doesn't fade away with the games they've got coming up. But Burnley way too good, outclassed them and going to go up as champions. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's just 
repeat, isn't it? Burnley just keep on just doing what they've done. But, you know, they had a little bit of a wobble. You know, a couple of draws in the last three prior to Saturday. Certainly uh, letting standards drop, shall we say, for how good they've been this year. But no, I mean, Burnley just, they were a class above, weren't they? They were just absolutely relentless against Huddersfield. They couldn't contain them. Like you said, they've got goals coming in from all angles of the pitch, which is obviously just going to help and make their case even stronger. As I've said for, for a while now, I think they've got it in them to go the rest of the season unbeaten. I think they will beat Reading's record of the 106. They, they're just a class above everybody. It's as simple as that, to be fair. They are absolutely a class above. They, you know, I don't. I can't recall a team in the Championship looking as good as this every single week. And I even include the Wolves side of 2017-18 in that when they had Neves and Jota and, you know, held a cost of that mould of the Portuguese squad. They've, they've just been relentless, Burnley. They are absolutely outstanding. I've actually worked out some stats uh, this morning for our podcast Twitter page for tomorrow, looking into Burnley's home record and check it out tomorrow. The numbers are absolutely just insane, to be quite honest with you. So it's just a case of repeat for Burnley. They march on another three points, three points closer to what they're going to win. It's been obvious for a long, long time now that they're going to win the league. For Huddersfield, like Neil Warnock said, a trip to uh, Burnley is not going to define their season. It never was. That you know, it's going to be the games against the teams around them where their where their season is going to be defined, like against Birmingham last weekend. So you know, don't be disappointed to have been given a bit of a tonking. But probably most Huddersfield fans wouldn't have been surprised. It's it's a you know it's a ground where most people these days are going and getting absolutely nothing out of them. So for Huddersfield, it's just a case of dust themselves down, go again next weekend, and hopefully get back to winning ways as soon as possible. Burnley need thirty points from their remaining thirty six available to match Reading's record. So they need ten wins and a draw and one it's defeat. Possible. It's possible. It's I'm not sure they will manage it. I think they're a better team than. I think they're going to end up with probably less points than a lot of t- other te- than a few other teams that aren't as good. I think they're better teams, but you know, ten it's, thirty-one points they'll need out of thirty-six. Got the consistency, don't I mean, you look at the next few games. They've got Blackpool, Wigan, Hull. The next three, you'd yeah, expect nine out of nine with the way with the way they've been going. I know, obviously, the championship, the nature of it, anything can happen. We know that, but they've just been so formidable and so relentless that you just not bet against it. You're right, really. we'll move we'll move down to the bottom of the championship table now. Reading three, Blackpool one. Big win for Reading, which gives them some breathing space in their quest to avoid getting sucked into the bottom. Um, the but but battle at the bottom. They've, they've got the fourth best record at home, George. Twenty third best record away, and I think the home form will see them safe. Personally, I'm not too concerned. I, I, they're not a great side, are they? But they're, they're pretty good at getting results at home and they'll get enough points to keep themselves up. They're so bad away, but very good at the select car leasing stadium. Two goals from Tommins, either side of an Andy Carroll penalty, which I thought was harsh. I didn't think it was a penalty, really. Curtis Nelson on Yaku Mate, who had been scampering away. I note that Reading changed to a back four for this game, which helped them get an extra forward on the pitch, which I think helped, particularly when they're at home. It'd be interesting to see if, if um, Paul Ince does that away from home as well. But my main takeaway this week is just how poor Blackpool are. I obviously saw them in the flesh on Tuesday night at Ewood Park against Blackburn. Again, they lost 1-0 in. But again, they were absolutely, again, battered in, if we're being completely honest. It should have been 2 or 3-0. Rovers just didn't take their chances. And they've just got nothing going forward. They do not look capable of scoring a goal. And in my mind, I think Blackpool are doomed and they're going down, in my opinion. They've got no creativity, no spark. And as I said before, and I don't know if this is a controversial opinion or whether Blackpool fans will agree, 
I think, and I maintain, they would have been better keeping Michael Appleton with the January signings because I think he did a good job. Or he did not a good job, but he did an okay job, par for the course, perhaps, with the squad he'd got. You then throw in your best player from last season back in the mix in Josh Bowler, who I appreciate hasn't looked the same since he's come back, but still a good player. Morgan Rogers, who was signed to work with Michael Appleton and did so well at Lincoln. And then you sack him two weeks later. I think they would have been better with him than Mick McCarthy because Mick McCarthy has come in and we've had a few nice sound bites, but he's done nothing in terms of improving them. And I think he's going to take them down. So in my opinion, I think they would have been better staying with Appleton. It's not just hindsight. I said this when he was appointed. And I think that they are a very, very poor football team that don't look capable of scoring any goals. Well, I think I'm going to have to obviously hold my hands up and accept that I got this one wrong. Humble pie. Yeah, I'm going to have a big big old slice of the old humble pie. You know, when Mick McCarthy got the job, I, I, you know, I I saw a lot of sense in the decision. I thought it was a a wise move for where they were at the time. I thought it would come in, sort of steady the ship and, and make them hard to beat. And, you know, not exactly pretty and pleasing on the eye, but I thought they'd have a little bit more fight about them. And it's just not been the case. And I've got to hold my hands up and admit that I got this one horribly wrong. And, you know, I look at Blackpool now, yeah, they're only four points adrift. It's not exactly a, a mountain to climb, but with the way things are going at the minute, the way they've been playing, the run that they're on, I think it's one winning 18 league games now. I just cannot see them getting out of it at all. You know, they've they've been absolutely torrid away from home. You know, you, you look at the past week, probably with the exception of the game against, against Blackburn, Stoke at home, obviously, they won, but they lost at Swansea, who have been in pretty poor form. They couldn't find a way past Rotherham recently, nor Huddersfield, both at home, gone to Reading, who, yeah, like you said to their credit, Reading have been very good at home this season. But they just, they got trampled on so easily, I thought, from the clips I've seen and what I've read from Blackpool fans. And like you said, you just cannot envision them getting out of this. You know, we've been saying for a while now that it's probably going to be three of, probably five teams that fall through the trap door. It's in proving impossible to think that Blackpool are going to be two of the five that get out of this because there's just no signs of any improvement. There's no evidence that they're going to be able to score the goals to stay up. And, you know, if I was to, you know, make a prediction now, I think both Huddersfield and Wigan would stand a greater chance of staying up than Blackpool. I've seen more from them in the last few weeks than I have from Blackpool. So, you know, like I say, four points, it's not an impossible mountain to climb. It's, you know, it's, it's only a win and a draw away from getting out of it. But, Huddersfield have got a game in hand on them. Rotherham have got a game in hand. Wigan as well. So, you know, the picture doesn't look great, but they've got to find a way. If they are going to stay up, they've got to find a way to turn around their fortunes really, really quickly because at the minute there's just no signs of any encouragement that they're going to be capable. So I think Mick McCarthy is going to be, you know, after potentially accept defeat on this one because at the time, like I said, I thought it was a decent move for where they were. But... It's just been a, a disastrous season, really, from start until the end of February at the moment. So, if they're going to stay up, they've got to bolt their ideas up very, very quickly. But at the minute, that there's not really much hope of them getting out of this. You wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I completely agree, and I, I do echo those sentiments. I do think they're going to get relegated, and I, I think they've regressed since he came in. If I'm being completely honest, and that obviously yeah. only means one thing for Blackpool, and that's heading back to League One. Preston North End at two, Wigan Athletic one. Preston have won at Deepdale, George. A comeback victory, and it's only the fourth time they've won at home this season. I do think there was a very dubious penalty which swayed this game. Daniel Johnson, he nicks the ball away from Ben Amos, but then 
he sort of just runs into him. I'm not sure Amos actually makes a challenge. Now, normally I side with the attacker on this and say, well, the goalkeeper's obstructed him or he's played the ball. I don't think he does on this occasion. I think he's just sort of stood still and there's not a lot he can do about it. And obviously that completely changes the game to make it one all. It changes the mood inside Deepdale, which was pretty sour and toxic at half time. And then obviously Tom Cannon gets his first goal for the club. Really nice ball over the top. Good pace to get away from his marker and a really good finish to complete the comeback. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Ryan Lowe's future this week, but I have a lot of sympathy for him. And I think Preston North End is a really difficult club to manage. It's so hard for them to break the top six barrier with their budget, which is at best mid-table, probably lower mid-table. Yes, I, I have to agree with fans that obviously the football and the results, particularly at home, haven't been good enough. They have been a very poor team at Deepdale. But away from home, they've been excellent. Now, when you look at the squad as well, I also think it's an ageing squad where quite a lot of the stalwarts and the, the people that have been mainstays, like your Alan Browns, like Daniel Johnsons, I think they're probably coming to the end of their time at Preston North End, in truth. I know Johnson's out of contract in the summer. And I think any calls for Ryan Lowe to be sacked or removed, I think are a little bit bonkers, if I'm being completely honest. And I think they're a little bit... I would say be careful what you wish for. I think Ryan Lowe's a very good manager. I think the fans have got to be a little bit careful because it only takes one appointment. CC Frankie McAvoy, who came in and suddenly had them in a relegation battle. If they don't, if they sack him and bring someone else in, I could they they could they'll, they'll either end up in a relegation battle or lower half mid table, or they'll end up in the exact same place they are in eighteen months' time, where they bring in a new manager. There's a lot of optimism, like there was where when Lowe came in. And then 18 months later, it's a little bit boring or stale. The realities of where you are financially in the championship table hit home and you sack him and repeat, rinse and repeat. So for me, I think Ryan Lowe deserves more time. I think he deserves a little bit more understanding of the situation that Preston North End are in. They're not that far off. the. Are they that far off where people expected them to be? Not for me and not for the squad they've got. And they've lost the top goal scorer to potentially a season um, season ending injury. So... I have a lot of sympathy for Ryan Lowe. I don't dispute the football should be better at home and they should be winning more games at home. But I think ultimately he's doing at least par for the course for what you'd expect. And I don't know who Preston fans think is out there who will come in and suddenly be able to break that top six barrier because Alex Neal couldn't do it. And he is probably one of Preston's best managers in recent years. And I don't know who's out there who would be attracted that could do that either. So I just see if they got rid of Lowe, we're going to be in the same spot in 18 months' time where they've had that optimism. Then it's the honeymoon period's faded and the reality of the championship's kicked in. Or they'll be in an even worse position where they get the wrong appointment and suddenly they're looking like they're, they're a lower mid-half, uh, mid-table side. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Obviously, like with you, I, I sympathise with Preston's fans over the, the home form this season. It it has been dreadful, to be, to be quite honest. The form at Deepdale has been very, very poor and obviously it looked as though... For a time on Saturday, they were going to add another, uh, yeah, another defeat to that tally of, uh, you know, their their home losses this season. But obviously, they came back, they won the game, they got three points on the board, and like you said, realistically, for where Preston are at the minute, and you know, again, I understand that the football has not been particularly pleasing on the eye in, re- in recent months. The the form has been very much up and down, mainly down for the most part. But with thirteen games to go, they're they're twelfth in the table, the slap bang in the middle of the table. They're only three points behind West Brom, who are still chasing the playoffs. Three points behind Coventry, who are still chasing the playoffs. 
like you said, where else were they really meant to be this season? Yeah, he came in and had a decent impact last season, Ryan Lowe, but the squad is nowhere near, in my opinion, nowhere near good enough to be expected to be challenging the top six. You know, that squad has been very similar for quite a while. You know, like you said, there's been a lot of players there that have been there for a while. You you think of your Alan Browns, your Johnsons, your, your Greg Cunninghams, um, your Andrew Hugheses. Those sort of people have been there for quite a while now. Where are they expected to mount this top six charge from with the squad as it is at the moment? If they added a few more, you know, bits of quality here and there, then fair enough. Then, then the expectation will be there, but... You know, like you said, they've lost potentially their, their main man for the rest of the season. Their front two, with the exception of Chet Evans, is basically built on low knees with Cannon and Liam Delap. You know, the, at the minute, Preston are a team still, for me, in transition. And the, the problem is, Ryan Lowe is never going to get the amount of funding and the backing that the Preston fans would want him to. And that is not his fault. Yes, again... The style of play could be a little bit better. They, they have got some good players in that team, you know. I wouldn't say it's the worst squad in the Championship, but no means it's by no means the best. And it's certainly not the best of the ones that are currently chasing the top six. So, realistically, Preston are probably where you would expect them to be. And I mean, if we look back on our predictions for our 1-24s to that we made at the very, very beginning of this season, I had Preston to finish in ninth. That was maybe a tad optimistic. So, you know, 12th at the minute, 13 games to go. They could still finish ninth if they go on a bit of a run. But, you know, they're not going to go down. I don't think there's any danger of that. I think there's teams a hell of a lot worse than themselves. So it's going to be just interesting to see how they, they plug on. But I'm with you. I think they are where, realistically, they should be for what they've got. And, yeah, the home form has not been good. It has been difficult for Preston fans to watch this season. But by and large, they're where they should be, give or take. Yeah, I completely agree. As I say, um, and I, ju- I just, you know, I do sympathise for fans because I, you know, you go to football for a release and for optimism. You want to be entertained. I open to be entertained, so I do get it from that point of view. But ultimately, I think you've got to look at the bigger press, the bigger picture with Preston North End, and I do think they're in one of those catch twenty twos where they're more likely to regress than get better by changing manual at this current stage. In my opinion, of course. Norwich City 2, Cardiff City nil. It's 13 points from David Wagner's first seven, which is definitely an improvement on where they were under Dean Smith before. It's been a good week for them with back-to-back home wins and a little bit of Samba style on show at Carrow Road, George, with Sarah scoring from the edge of the box for 1-0. Marquinhos getting his first goal after signing on loan from Arsenal for the second. It's interesting with Norwich because I feel like we obviously had the honeymoon period where they just smacked in a load of goals and won a lot of games. Then they had a, a little dip and then they've probably levelled out a little bit more where they're not quite as gung-ho, but they're picking up some points in the last few games. Where do you assess their top six hopes at the minute? Because they're still in touching distance, the seventh in the table, and 13 points from his first seven is a good return for David Wagner. Yeah, they, they, you know, they, they're where they should be, realistically. I think, you know, they're only a point outside, one place outside the top six. They're certainly in the hunt. And, you know, with the way that they've turned things around at home recently... I think Norwich have got a really good chance. You know, they they seem to be a little bit more pleasing on the eye to watch. There's more free-flowing play to to what they're doing. And, you know, you look at the stats of David Wagner. I mean, he's had eight games in charge now, five wins in the opening eight. That's a healthy return. Two defeats and one of them was to Burnley. So you can't really drag him down too much for that. 
They've scored double the amount of goals they've conceded in their games. So, you know, overall, he's had a really good start. And, you know, it's been a good week for them overall. Obviously, they, they drew at Wigan last weekend, where, to be fair, on the highlights, I saw they were fortunate to get a point, but they've taken seven points out of nine in, in a three-game week. So that's a really healthy return for Norwich. And, you know, like I said, they're on the cusp of the playoffs in a, in a race that, you know, is looking as though it's going to go right down to the wire to, to see who gets these four playoff places because it is so wide open. But I think Wagner overall, I think he'd be very satisfied. And, you know, if I was to score his start out of 10, I think I'd probably give it a, a well-rounded, respectable seven. I think it's been a solid start. You know, he's not had some easy games in there. He, you know, he's had to go to Coventry. He's faced Burnley. So he's not had the easiest run. So for Norwich, it's going to be a case of, can they put a run of, say, four or five wins together? They've got a couple on the board now. They've arguably got one of the toughest away games they could wish for in this league next. They've got a Millwall next Saturday. Then they've got Sunderland at home. So two big games against teams in and around them in the table next. And, you know, if they could get four points, say, out of six from those, I think that'd be a really good return. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything to say Norwich couldn't get all six out of these next two games. I think they've got it in them. They, they seem to have got a confidence and a bit of a swagger about them again. And like you said, that bit of Brazilian brilliance, that can go a long way in football. You know, that just that little bit of flair and that bit of trickery. So for Norwich, steady improvement, gradual progress. Could they get in the top six? Every single chance in the world they could. Do I think they will? Being honest, I'm not sure yet. I think I'm kind of 50-50 split on that because of who's around them in the table and others just don't seem to be letting up at the minute, mainly Millwall, Luton. So it's going to be interesting to see. So I think maybe you know, you'll know you have a very clear idea of Norwich when we get to the international break as then we pause and obviously come back for the final sprint to the finish line. But four games coming up before then, Millwall, Sunderland, Huddersfield and Stoke, that's that's an opportunity to get some you know, get some good points on the board before the uh, before the pause for the international break. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd probably give him an eight for the start because I think they're not far off two points a game, which is really good. And equally you've got to consider where they were, particularly Carrow Road, the form was really poor and he's done well in those home games since he came in as manager. Birmingham nil, Luton Town one, really good header from Carlton Morris. To secure the win here. Really, really good cross from um, Alfie Doughty, who's been really, really important for this Luton Town side since Rob Edwards came in. And I think it's interesting that his Forest Green Rovers side that won the League Two title last year heavily relied on wit from their wing backs. It was Kane Smith and Nicky Cadden for them. And we're seeing that, I think, with um, Cody Dahmer on loan from Leeds United and also with Doughty down the left um, as well. I think we're seeing traits of his Forest Green Rose philosophy coming in at Luton, which is obviously good, you know, it's a good side of management and clear philosophy and instructions on the training ground. I think they might well get in the top six. It's going to be tight, but I think you're looking at Luton, you're looking at Blackburn Rovers, you're looking at Millwall, looking at Norwich, fighting out with West Brom for three of those spots, in my opinion. Um, I have to say, Roberts should have been sent off for an absolutely shocking challenge on Morris, who... He later went off, but um, from the commentary and from the reports, I'm led to believe he went off with actually the way he landed on his shoulder rather than the, an injury to his ankle or his knee. It was an absolute shocker. He should have been sent off. But a good win for Luton. And they're, they're in great form under Rob Edwards. They're doing really, really well. Yeah, they are. They, they've really kicked on in the last few weeks. And Rob Edwards, I think, you know, I think the vast majority of football fans would be very, very pleased for him considering what happened at Watford, the way he was obviously kind of spat out by them so quickly into a tenure that was supposedly going to mark the beginning of a change at Vicarage Road. But I think Luton, when you break down their form, they've been in 
you know, they've been really, really good the last few weeks. They've found a way to win consistently, you know, and they've they, they've they've done it in a way that's gone, you know, not unnoticed, but they've not really made a big song and dance about it. You know, they, you break it down, they've they've won four of the last seven, I think it is now. They've had a couple of draws in there and obviously a slender defeat to Burnley last weekend via, via a penalty. So, Again, no disgrace in losing to Burnley. So their form in the last few weeks has been really encouraging and they've racked up four clean sheets in seven games as well. I think the only thing potentially that could hold Luton back in the playoff picture, and this is not really a criticism, it's just a, a slight concern more than anything because if, you know, if you're scoring goals, it's going to get the job done. But I think the thing for Luton is they are so reliant really on Colton Morris and Victor Adebayo that, that's my, uh, Elijah Adebayo, I should say, Victor, Elijah Adebayo, I meant to say, but, um, you know, without Adebayo and Morris's goals, there's not really been too many players, certainly in the last few weeks, that have been chipping in relentlessly with goals. Obviously, Tom Lockyer scored at Coventry, Pele, Ruddick and Panzu got the winner against Stoke in that win at the start of the month. But aside from that, nobody else really is giving Morris and Adebayo a helping hand. And, you know, if you, if you are to lose either of those two for X amount of time, that's going to be a really difficult challenge for Luton to overcome. So I think that's the big, the only concern really you can have for Luton, but they're absolutely flying. They've got the second best away record in the league, the joint most clean sheets away from home in the league. So for me, I think if you literally had to pick out one criticism just to be awkward, which I am being a little bit awkward, I would just say it's if they either lose Morris or Adebayo, I'm just a little concerned where the goals will come from. But aside from that, they march on and, you know, I think they're in with a very, very good chance of getting back-to-back playoff finishes. And Rob Edwards, like I say, for what happened at Watford, he deserves this because people are now getting a chance to see what he can do. And it feels like him and Luton is just an absolutely perfect match. Yeah, I think a lot of neutrals are quite happy to see them thriving and him doing well there, given how he was treated at Watford. And you're absolutely right. I think for teams like Millwall and Luton are ultimately punching above their weights, don't have the deepest of squads, Maybe less so with Millwall in terms of bodies, but maybe quality and depth if they lost, you know, Fleming and Bradshaw and um, someone else, Volkslammer, then they would have these problems like Luton if they lost Morris and Odebayo for an extended period. But they've got them fit, and while they're fit and firing, and this is what I was kind of saying about Watford, I think obviously like a Luton and a Millwall, the, the, they are better teams than Watford. But Watford, for example, have, they've just got that extra star quality in and strength in depth where they can win games on nothing, whereas... Luton and Millwall are better teams, but probably have to be at a higher. They have probably have to have everyone at playing at a higher but, level in order to, to win the game. Them in the sense that they're hardworking, they really you just know a, a determined set of players. And like you said, for Luton now, as a team under Rob Edwards, it just seems to it just seems to work. They are you know as a team, they are a really good, well-oiled machine that you know by and large are churning out results quite consistently. So. I really wouldn't bet against Luton finishing inside the top six, but a, a massive game with Millwall on Tuesday night, one of the only two games midweek, and that is an absolute. Uh, well, it's it really, it's you know, it could be a, a defining one for both because they're both on equal points and both on the exact same goal difference. So, massive game at Kenilworth Road, and could be one to certainly keep an eye on Tuesday evening. Absolutely, and Millwall they won one nil as well away from home. They beat Stoke one nil, as I say, a goal from uh, Fleming for the winner. I think this was this was a typical win for Millwall, but it, it, it's a game they probably wouldn't have won last year. They didn't win many games away from home. It was all the home form. I do think they've improved defensively um, and offensively away from home, in particular to pick up more away points. They've bridged that gap between home and away form this season, and I, I actually think that this might be the year 
that they do get in the top six. Um, they scored first. Quite happy to have large periods without the ball and say to a, you know, a pretty blunt Stoke attack, go on then, break us down, get get yourself back in the game. And they couldn't do it. They defended resolutely. They're so well organised off the ball, so well disciplined. And they got the winner from, I have to say, I thought it was really poor defending from Stoke. Phil Jagiel just backs off and backs off and backs off. He really did look every day of his age. And should Phil Jagiel could be starting for a team in the Championship who, who has aspirations of being in the top half and further? Probably not at this stage of his career. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but he just looked really old the way he just backed off. I mean, Voltzheimer, uh, sorry, Fleming picks it up about 30 yards from goal and he's about 18, 17 yards out by the time he actually hits it. So it's really poor defending, but Millwall wants to go 1-0 ahead. Their record is pretty impeccable and they wouldn't have won this game, I don't think, last year. I think it would have been 0-0. So I think that's where we're seeing the, the improvement with Millwall. Really good victory for them. And, and as you say, they're right in it. And I, I would make them one of the favourites, in my opinion, to get the top six. I've been quite hot on them all season. I you know, I think I predict them to finish seventh at the start of the season. Um, I've certainly felt like they've improved. I've said a few times, I think it's the best squad Rowett's had. And I think he's got that ability where he's not relying on 11 players. They've now got 15, 16 players and the quality doesn't drop that much. So... I feel good about Millwall. They've had a really good sustained run ever since they lost at Blackburn in October and they've been one of the best sides since. So I feel more strongly they will finish in the top six than not right now, which is probably not a feeling I've had for Millwall even in the last few years when they've come close. I've always felt that they'll drop away. This season, I actually think they will go one better and I think they'll get in the top six. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I I was fairly confident that Millwall would win at Stoke at the weekend. I used it as my banker and, you know, I was... I was just confident after what I'd seen, obviously, against Sheffield United last weekend. Then they got a point against Burnley during the week. You know, they had a, they had a really good week at home. And to go and get seven points out of nine, having played the top two in the same week, is is a remarkable achievement. But I think them them four points against Sheffield United and Burnley send out a statement that if we're at home, you're going to be in for a hell of a game. That That is the situation with Millwall. Because at nine out of ten, you would back them to win at the Den. So it's it's there where they've you know built the bulk of this room. But like you said, they've been better away from home this season. We've said it a lot this season, certainly in the last few weeks. Gary Rowett has probably got the best squad he's ever had while he's been in charge of Millwall. And Zian Fleming looks like an absolute gem of a player. I mean, yeah, given a helping hand by some atrocious Stoke defending for that goal on Saturday, but he had the you know he had the confidence and the desire and the energy to carry that ball all that way and then score with a lovely low finish. And he's looking a real, real talent. 11 goals this season for him now. But I think the best point you've made in your segment on Millwall there was the fact that you said one goal. So when they get in front, it always seems to be enough. They, they, they look confident when they get in front. They're only one of two teams in the Championship this season that when leading have not lost a single game, which tells you everything. They've been leading. I feel like there's been a good, this podcast been very good of me making points and then you having the stats to back up my yep. point, which is it's a great combination. It is, and it is one for you. Who would you think then? Millwall have got, you know, they're one of two teams who have not lost when leading this season. Who would you guess? Rovers. Nope. You'd never, you'll never. I oh, lost at Sunderland. Burnley? Uh, Stoke, 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 Stoke City. Oh, Stoke City. Which you wouldn't believe. But yeah, but, uh, Millwall, they've led 16 times this season and they've won 15 drawing one, which shows if they score first, basically you've had it. So they are really proving difficult. But as I said a few minutes ago when we talked about Luton, Millwall obviously go to Luton on Tuesday night. That is a massive game. That is a really big game for both. You know, if if Millwall could win that as well, 
that would be a remarkable 10 days or so for them. And then they've got another big playoff game at the weekend, uh, Norwich at home. So they've got two big games this coming week, Millwall. So, you know, Luton away, Norwich at home, I think you'd, you'd be pretty content with four points from that if you were a Millwall fan. And then they've got Reading away and Swansea at home in the two after that. So it does get a little bit easier, certainly on paper. So Millwall doing really, really well. They're flying. They're obviously, you know, in the top six currently. They've had a good good seven days, but a big game of Luton on Tuesday night that, you know, could you know be pivotal in both team seasons. Yeah, two teams with contrasting fortunes this week now. Coventry City, they beat Sunderland 2-1 to make it three wins in a row. I think Victor Jokeres, I was having a discussion about this yesterday at Loftus Road in the press room. I think he's the best striker in the championship in yeah, terms yeah. of he can do everything. He's He would be the sign, he's the striker that I would sign as a Premier League club to bring up because I think he's system proof. I think he can play off the left, I think he can play off the right, I think he can play as a lone striker, I think he can play in a two, I think he's got pace, I think he can play in transition. I think he can play as a predatory six-yard box striker. He's I think brilliant. he can do a little bit of everything. And he's he's 24 now. He's out of contract um, in 2024. So Coventry have realistically got to cash in or sign him up to a new deal in the summer. And I think if I was a Premier League club, I would be signing him up. I think he would be the priority for, for any championship forward. There might be ones that score have scored more goals this season, but I just think he's the most sure bet to transition those skill sets up to the Premier League personally. Because I think... He's system proof. He's not one of these players that has to play in a set role in a set formation with set players around him doing certain jobs. I think he can he can slot in, he can plug and plug in and play really easily. And that's not something you can say about a lot of players, particularly at championship level. So I've been really, really impressed. He scored obviously the what turned out to be the winning goal here. Jamie Allen's had a good week as well with a couple of goals at Rotherham and then of course scoring as well against Sunderland at the weekend. Not been a great week for Sunderland. They've been slightly off the boil. Lovely goal from Ahmad to make it 2-1. But the uh, the Tony Mowbray second-half season curse, Sunderland will be hoping again. doesn't kick in. It was, a, it was a trend at Blackburn where they'd start really hot and just fall away second half of the season. Obviously, again, Tony Mowbray's been talking about the fact they'd be a really good team if they had two more strikers, being Ross Stewart and Ellie Sims. He's not wrong, but they are going to have to find a way to, to deal with that because they've only got Joe Gohard. So I have a bit of sympathy for them, but it's not going to fix and get them in the top six, ultimately. So, I think they might just fall short, Sunderland, I think, because of those injuries. I probably agree that I actually think they might finish in top six if they got those two strikers, but it's ifs and buts, and they don't have them, ultimately. So, I think that they'll just fall short, in my opinion. I think the squad will run out of steam. I think they've relied on the same quartet, pretty much, in attack, and they're going to have to for most of the season, with Pritchard, the only other option, really, to come in um, to that forward line. So, Bad week for Sunderland, good week for Coventry, and that that puts them right. Both teams in the mix, but I think that I think Sunderland will finish above Coventry, but I think Sunderland will drop short of the playoffs. Yeah, well, well, I'll start on the negative first with Sunderland. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I watched the the second half of this game on Saturday, and, and Coventry were the better team. Sunderland, don't get me wrong, they did. You know, they had a good go before that Yokeris goal killed them off eventually, but you never really thought that they were going to get back in the game. They never really thought they were going to score. Obviously, Ahmad did score with a with a late consolation goal, but it was nothing more. But you, you can see that they are significantly lacking. Ross Stewart's present at the top end of the pitch. It is a very young and youthful attack. Joe Gellhart, don't get me wrong, there's a lot to like about him. He's a very exciting young player, but he's not really, for me, he's not an out-and-out number nine that's going to score your goals at a rapid rate. And when you're trying to live up to the standard of what Ross Stewart set when he's been fit this season, it is obviously very difficult to replicate. 
So it's not been a great week for Sunderland, obviously losing at Rotherham as well, being held to a point by Bristol City last weekend, one point out of nine, you know, against, you know, not the most difficult crop of fixture, but certainly by no means the easiest as well, kind of middle of the road. But for Coventry, an excellent week for them, isn't it? I mean, three three wins uh, in a row now for them, the first time they've managed that this calendar year. But I echo everything you've said about Victor Jokeres. He is, without doubt, the best striker in the Championship. There's no doubt about it. He's just got everything that you could wish for in a striker. And, you know, you expect him to score every time he goes onto the pitch. He's absolutely banging the goals in. And, you know, I think he's remarkable when you said he could easily get into a Premier League team. And immediately I'm thinking he could, you know, he could be perfect for Burnley to lead their line if when they get promoted next season. He'd be, he'd be ideal for them. But, you know, the, the numbers that this guy has churned out since the beginning of last season, he's got 42 direct goal contributions in the league alone. It's absolutely frightening numbers. 32 league goals now, I think it is, since the start of last season. 10 assists. He, he is just an all-round brilliant footballer. He's, you know, he's got the intelligence to lead the line really well. He's strong, he's powerful, he's quick. And he's clinical as a striker as well, let's not forget. And he's got the ability to shoot from outside the box too. So... He is a really, really good player and Coventry, you know, I find it very, very hard to imagine that they could keep hold of him next season, whatever happens to them in the remaining months of the season. But focusing on Coventry as a collective, you know, they're still in the playoff hunt. They're, they're five points adrift. You know, it's it's not an impossible bridge to gap, especially when, you know, we've been singing the praise of West Brom, tipping them to get in there. They're on equal points. They've played the same number of games. But I just think there could be some teams that are just maybe that little bit better than Coventry overall, but might just get there. But, you know, if Coventry were to finish inside the top 10, that would be another brilliant season and, you know, continued progress under Mark Robbins. So a good win for them, a really good week for them. And, you know, with the way things are going and how mental this playoff race is proving, yeah, I don't think you can rule them out just yet. And then finally, Bristol City 1, Hull City 0. You ate 469 days for a penalty, George, and then two come in seven days. Of course they did. Naki was smashing in the penalty after a Cyrus Christie handball to win it. I did think it was handball. I think it was fair enough. Um, And another good display for the Robins, who continued their unbeaten run, climbing up the table nicely, building momentum and edging out a tight game. Uh, Alex Mehmeti again getting rave reviews. He's, He's been really good since he came into the Bristol City side. Um, one of the best players at Sunderland where they drew last week and he was pretty much the star man, created the handball um, incident which Wells smacked in. So really good run from Bristol City that they've continued, edging out a, a tight game, keeping more clean sheets, which is the thing we've spoke about so much with them over the last 18 months. And I think they marked two years of Nigel Pearson this year. So that team's changed a lot from the first team, I'm sure, that he put out two years ago. And we're starting to see the shoots of of of... of recovery if that's the right that's probably not the right term but we'll go with it anyway yeah I know what you mean there's been gradual growth hasn't there in the, in the last few that's weeks that's the of way of putting it gradual you know I think it's nine games unbeaten now in the league they've not lost a league game this this calendar year they're only one of three teams that are actually yet to lose a league game this calendar year I think in the football league this season which proves just how well that the Bristol City have been going and you know yeah they got they got a helping hand with a penalty at the weekend against Hull but they found a way to get the job done. And the, the, the strange thing for me is Bristol City have been on such a, a brilliant run in the last few weeks. I, mean, I seem to have been typing out really positive tweets on the on the podcast page with them, you know, another game unbeaten. But they don't really seem to have gone anywhere in the league. That's the daft thing. They don't really seem to have moved very far. 
They're still 13th in the table. You know, they're still in the bottom half. But I think, you know, you can see that the signs of improvement have been evident. And, you know, they've beaten a whole side that have been on a gradual improvement in the last few weeks. They've got the job done there. And, you know, hats off to Nigel Pearson for the dancing. Absolutely superb, that was. If you've not seen it, go and get it, check it out. That was absolutely top quality content. Um, so, yeah, all, all, all is rosy in Bristol City's garden at the minute. And I think, you know, as we said last week, it's a case of how can they kick on next season to mount a really good playoff charge. I mean, the playoffs this season, you know, it's not out of the question. They're only nine points off. Too many teams, though, isn't it? It's too much traffic. A lot of traffic to get through. There's going to be a hell of a lot of things that would have to go their way and they'd still have to put a formidable run of wins together opposed to, you know, winning a couple and then drawing one like they've been doing. But, you know, if they keep going as they are, just try and stretch this unbeaten run a little bit longer, they are going to continue to climb, albeit slowly. But, you know, a lot of the focus in the summer is, of course, going to be on Alex Scott. Are they going to be able to keep him? But, you know, at the moment for Bristol City, you know, things are looking really nice for them. And, you know, they've got the luxury of an FA Cup tie in Manchester City to look forward to in midweek. So, you know, there's a lot to be happy about at Ashton Gate at the minute. Absolutely. And that rounds off this weekend's Championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. On to our shots and bankers now, George, for the upcoming weekend. There's a few games in midweek littered in, but a full slate next weekend. What have you gone for as your shock and your banker this weekend, please? My shock, I'm going to start at the very beginning of the weekend and I'm going to go for the Friday night game and I'm going to go for Hull at home to West Bromwich Albion. I know Hull have you know, stumbled a little bit in the last few weeks. West Brom got a really important win against Borough, but West Brom's away form has just been a little bit iffy in recent weeks, to be fair. Hull haven't been doing bad at home, so I could potentially see Liam Rossini's side pulling off a bit of a scalp in that one on, on Friday night. In terms of my banker, I'm going to go with uh, the league leaders to continue their ferocious pace at the top, Burnley. Uh, they're away at Blackpool. You know, that's one of those games where it would take an almighty shock for something to happen. So I just can't see it with the way Blackpool are playing at the minute. Burnley on fire. And, you know, I'd be very surprised if the Clarets didn't add another three points to the tally at Bloomfield Road. I've got two separate selections, which is always nice. My banker is Middlesbrough to beat Reading. I know Middlesbrough. Knew it'd be that. What, sorry? <laughs> knew it'd be that. I knew well, it. Well, yeah, let's be fair. It's probably <laughs> the best team at home currently, on, well, apart from Burnley. Um, Reading's away in form. The championship and Reading's away form is absolutely atrocious. So that's got to be my banker. Middlesbrough, I think, will bounce back. They generally have done when they've suffered a bump in the road since Michael Carrick came in through the door. And Reading are just absolutely abysmal away from home. As I said last week, the worst team in the championship away from home if you split each team into two at home and away. And then my shock, I'm going to go for Huddersfield to beat Coventry at home. Um, A home game for Neil Warnock. They need to be picking up points at home. And Coventry, you know, win three and lose one tends to be the how they the run at the minute. So I, I could see them dropping points here. And I think Huddersfield, these are the sort of games Warnock's got to be targeting. If he says his season's not going to be defined at Burnley, which is absolutely correct to say, it might well be defined by games like Huddersfield um, against Coventry at home. So I'm going for Huddersfield to beat Coventry as my shock. And my banker is Middlesbrough to beat Reading. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Huge thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.